0: You are listening to New Covenant Fellowship. Well, recently I was reading over some of my past journal entries, and I came across a few of them that were short enough uh, that I'd like to share with you guys. On December 20th, 2007, let's not forget that a few months ago, Brian Davis, Brian Mullaney, and I prayed together in our discipleship group that God would provide financially for the Davis family as money was looking slim. In the past month, God has provided in huge ways in the fact that Rochelle has received two raises, a dollar an hour each, and a humongous Christmas bonus. Praise to God for His provision. And let us not fail to give Him thanks and glory and honor for His answered prayer. November 26, 2012. For years and years, the Curleys have tried to have children but were unsuccessful. For a few years now, Dustin and I have prayed and prayed and prayed persistently and consistently that God would open Jennifer's womb that she may bear children. And lo and behold, Jameson Dean Curley was born at 5.14 p.m. He was 7 pounds, 1 ounce, 18 inches. And today you and I can see on Facebook posts of this beautiful child. These are just a few examples of a multitude that I could share with you of example after example after example of God's faithfulness in answering prayer. He is a God who calls us to be a people of prayer. He is a God who delights in us asking. He is a God who provides for his people good things. And as we move forward in our series entitled The Kingdom, What It Means, as we're discovering what it means to be citizens of the kingdom, this morning we're going to see that it means that you and I are to be people of prayer and that God is a giver of good gifts. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. And as, I, as you turn there, I'll kind of catch you up as to where we are with the context. We see that. Uh, Jesus has been raised up as the new Moses who is leading a new covenant people of God in a new exodus out of a spiritual Egypt and into a new promised land, the heavenly kingdom, the new Jerusalem. And as Moses prepared the old covenant community for life in the land by giving the law, which he received on the mount, so also here we have Jesus Preparing the new covenant people for life in the land. We've made our way through Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 and through verse 6 of Matthew 7. We pick up this morning in verse 7 and we'll read through verse 12. Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks Receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in Everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, I think this passage, this text, has been misapplied and misunderstood in various ways. Um, We can probably understand why, because looking on the surface of it, we see Jesus saying, Ask and you will receive. For Whoever asks, receives. So it sounds right there like anything I ask of God, he's going to give to me. Now, I remember uh, when I first became a believer back in the year 2000, I remember coming across this text. And I think we're, we're wired in such a way that we tend to be selfish by nature. We tend to think, what's in it for me? And as I came to this text for the first time, I thought, I thought in terms of God being this cosmic genie, and now that I'm a believer, I get not only three wishes, but an infinite number of wishes because God's like my personal genie in a lamp of whom I can make requests, and He will grant my every whim and desire because after all, it says right here, Ask. And you will receive. Everyone who asks receives. So I first understood this test, this text, to render God as this cosmic genie in a lamp that existed to serve me. But that's erroneous because my wish is not His command. That would that would render me as God. That would make me the master and God my servant. Not so. He is my master. I exist to serve Him. And His wish is my command. However, over time, I began through my study of the scriptures. As I matured in the faith, I began to understand. My, my, my understanding, my initial understanding was in the air. So before we go any further in discussing this idea of asking and receiving, seeking and finding, knocking and having the door open, before we move further, I want to make sure that we understand the proper posture for prayer. The proper posture is that of a servant beseeching his master. Now, one of the things we always want to keep in mind as we study the scriptures is if we want to compare scripture with Scripture, The analogy of faith or the analogy of scripture. Uh, Whenever you're studying a particular doctrine, you want to study other passages that speak on the same doctrine. So uh, keep your finger in Matthew 7 and turn over with me to James chapter 4. Uh, You may be noticing by now that we have gone to James several times throughout this sermon series. James provides excellent commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. James is an extremely practical book, and so when we're talking about life application for citizens of the kingdom, it's no surprise to find a lot of application, a lot of practical application in the book of James. All right, James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, James writes, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You covet and kill, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So, James, he's pointing out that people quarrel and they fight because of selfish desires within them. They want something, they don't get it. I think people have this tendency of having this limited earthly perspective, this horizontal perspective that says, I want this, and in order to procure my desires, how can I go about doing that in my own power, and my own strength? What devices, what means, what methods can I use in order to get those things? And oftentimes they result in quarreling and fighting and taking from other people. I think what James is doing here is shifting one's focus from a horizontal Viewpoint to a vertical viewpoint from a limited earthly perspective to one that is heavenly one that is godly one that says I will ask of my heavenly father For whom nothing is impossible and Look what he says in verse 3. He says When you ask you do not receive Oh, wait, 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 wait I Thought jesus said ask and you will receive and then james just before this, said, hey, you're quarreling and fighting. You don't have because you don't ask God, which implies you should ask God and you will receive, just like Jesus said. Why? Why would they not receive if they asked? I mean, did not Jesus give the promise, ask, and you will receive? For everyone who asks, receives. Well, James answers that question. Why? Why would they not receive when they ask? The rest of the verse reads, because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So very clearly here we see that the idea of God being this cosmic genie and a lamp that exists to serve our every desire and give us every single thing that we ask for, regardless of what it is, the scriptures make that clear that that's not the case. There are prayers that God does not answer one of them being prayers that are asked with wrong motives that one may spend what he gets on his pleasures. The uh, selfish earthly mentality that leads to quarreling and fighting is the same thing that motivates one to pray selfishly that he may spend what he gets on his own pleasures. Again, in the kingdom the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What are our, our motives what are we asking for and why 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 are we asking for that particular thing if our prayers are uttered with selfish motives those are not prayers that we can expect God to answer that he would grant those requests asking it will be given to you for everyone who asks receives but check your motives Let's check our motives and make sure that what we're asking for is with right desires. So not only is God not this genie in the lamp that exists to serve us, but he is the sovereign king. The sovereign king. And he has the prerogative to say no. And sometimes the answer is no. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Can you imagine if we got everything that we asked for? And the reason it's a good thing is because not only is God our sovereign king, He is our heavenly Father. You catch that? He is our heavenly Father. And generally speaking, a father desires to protect his children from harm. So sometimes the answer should be no. This is amazing news that we get to call God Father. I mean, think about how awesome that is. And that Jesus encourages us, or commands us, if you will, if you won't take that in a burdensome way, commands us, if you will, to ask. We are encouraged to ask. Prayer should be the way of citizens in the kingdom. Not this, hey, try everything you can to get what it is you want, and if all else fails as a last resort, pray. No. Prayer as a way of life. Asking, seeking, knocking. God is not this far-off God that is unattainable, But he is near to us as a father. We have a relationship with him. He's a God who comes into covenant relationship to have intimate relationship with his people. And not just any generic relationship, once again, that of a father with his children. What a privilege! And just as a father provides for the needs of his children, so also God as our Heavenly Father provides for our needs. Look at the examples that Jesus gives in verse 9 and 10. He says, which of you, if your son asks for for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? These things are needs. Bread and fish. We see that God, as a good father, provides for our needs. And I believe that he is honored when we ask. I can tell you that as a father, I am honored when my children ask for my help. When they say, Daddy, I need help, and I know that you can help me. That honors me. I'm delighted to come to the aid of my children, to help them, to provide for their needs. And so we are called, even commanded again, if you will, to ask, to seek his aid. And look at the nature of the gifts that God gives. He is the giver of good gifts. In verse 11, he says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven know how to give good gifts to His children who ask Him? That's not very flattering, is it? (laughs) If you then, though you are evil... I believe the point here is that God is infinitely better than earthly fathers. As we're walking through a passage like this that speaks of earthly fathers, this may not resonate well with you. Uh, You may not have had the best father. You may be thinking, well yeah, maybe your father provided for you, but my dad was a deadbeat. You may be thinking, well, yeah, um, maybe your dad was eager to provide good gifts for you, but the only thing my dad provided for me was a broken home. You may be thinking, yeah, maybe your dad was delighted to help you. Maybe he was excited for you to come and ask him, but it was clearly bothersome. It was clearly an interruption for me to come to my father so yeah maybe you had this great dad but I didn't my dad was out of the picture and so and so you may be thinking playing the comparison game my dad really good dad and there's a chasm that characterizes the difference between the two but in reality when we bring God as Father into the picture and we compare Him to all earthly dads, what happens is this, that which appears to be this huge chasm that distinguishes a really bad earthly father from a really good earthly father becomes this, mm, like this, really bad dad, really, really good dad, heavenly father. in comparison with even the best of earthly fathers, God is infinitely greater as our Heavenly Father. And if you had a terrible dad and this uh, a passage like this or a topic like this brings up painful memories, I'm sorry, but I do have good news for you. You, if you are in Christ, have a Heavenly father, who is amazing. So if your dad didn't do all these things, you now have one who does. Far greater. And that is good news. And if even the best of human fathers are evil, sinful, fallen, flawed creatures, and they know how to give good gifts to their children and do good to their children and provide for their children, how much more will our Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Now again, notice the nature of that which God gives. Good, good things to those who ask. Now, I want to be clear that this does not mean always health. Always wealth, always prosperity, no pain, no struggle, no problems, no persecution, nothing uncomfortable. It doesn't mean that. May not always be what we think is good for us, but it is what is ultimately good for us. Because our perspective is completely different from God's perspective. He's God. We're not. We don't always know what's best for us, but as our father, he does. For example, if one of my children is ill, they're sick, Daddy, I want to get better. Please make me better. I know, as their father, that what they need, what is good for them, is a cup of bitter medicine. So I give that medicine to my child and my child goes, no, I don't want that. There's no way that can be good. As their father, I will see that they take that bitter medicine because it is for their good. It is what they need. From their limited perspective, they don't see that. There's no way that can be good. That's bad. From my perspective, as their father, I know That it is what they need. And so for you and I, we may say, Father, make me better. And He may give us a bitter cup to drink. And we may say, No way. That is not what I asked for. That is not what I want. There's no way that this can be good. And our Heavenly Father says, You asked to get better I, as your Father, know what is best for you. I know what you need. And this bitter cup of good medicine is what is needed. That means we have to trust Him. Trust in His infinite wisdom. Trust in His infinite goodness that He will do what we need. That He will give us what is best. Now other times we may want something, we may have our eye on something that we think will be good for us and we may ask for it but God, knowing that it is not good for us, may say, no son or no, my daughter. Maybe it's, maybe it's a relationship with somebody. Maybe it's another position at work. Whatever it is that seems like it will be a really good thing from our limited perspective and we ask that God would give it to us, the answer may be no. And if it is, we know that God is doing that for our ultimate good, I believe. Consider my six-year-old daughter doing arts and crafts, cutting up construction paper, leaves her project there, gets up to use the restroom, and my one-year-old son sees those shiny scissors. So he climbs up onto the chair and looks at me as if to say, Daddy, I want those. That will be good. That's the prize. That is the treasure. That's it. And so I say, Sure, son, slice yourself. That way you learn. No. I say, no, son. That's not for your ultimate good. From his perspective, I'm the biggest, meanest jerk on the planet because I am withholding that which is good, keeping his treasure from him. I'm the meanest daddy ever. Because I did not give him what he wanted. When he grows up, he'll thank me. As his perspective shifts, as he matures and he begins to understand, Daddy was looking out for me. He had my best interest in mind. My daddy gave me what is good. My daddy withheld from me that which would not be ultimately good. If he wants to run out into the middle of the street while cars are coming, The answer is no. In the same way, our Heavenly Father may say no. If it is not for our ultimate good. Because God is the giver of good gifts. If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask? I've asked God for wisdom, for maturity, for growth. And He has given me painful experiences. Not what I asked for, God. I wanted these good things over here. But I can tell you from experience, looking back in retrospect, that some of the biggest Struggles I had, some of the biggest problems I faced, some of the most painful experiences that I have gone through have brought me closer to God, brought me closer to maturity, brought me more wisdom, and brought me humility. I got what I asked for, but I didn't get it the way that I expected to get it. I got what was ultimately good for me because my Father in heaven is a giver of good gifts. But that doesn't mean no pain, no struggle, no problems. Those things may be the means by which God gives good gifts to those who ask. At times he will give me a bitter cup of medicine because he knows that it is ultimately what I need. And not only does God provide for us uh, on a physical level, on an earthly, superficial level, so to speak. Bread, fish. In the parallel passage in Luke 11, verse 11 and uh, 12 through 13, he says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Very familiar language. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit... To those who ask Him. How much more will He give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God gives His Holy Spirit to dwell in His children. What a magnificent gift to have His Spirit dwelling in us, transforming us, regenerating our hearts, giving us new hearts, motivating us to righteous living, sanctifying us, conforming us to the image of Christ. It's not that Jesus simply says, here, live like this. Go, do it in your own strength, power, get out of here, go. He says, I will send you the comforter, the paraclete, the one who will be your advocate, the one who will come alongside you, live inside you, dwell in you, transform you, conform you, and empower you to live the righteous Life that God desires. We've got this interactive relationship with God. Again, He's not a far off God who says, Hey, I'm way up here, you're way down here, this is what I said to do, go and do it. Done. He's a God who says, Come to me, ask, ask for my help. I want to give it to you. In fact, I'm a giver of. Really, really good gifts, my spirit, to dwell in you and empower you to live the life that you've been called to. And so now in verse 12, Jesus brings this sermon to a close. He says, "So in everything, your version may have, therefore, in everything, they work the same way. they're uh, connective words. So in everything, do to others." What you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now again, connecting word. But I believe that this therefore, this so, is a massive therefore. In other words, I don't believe it's simply connecting verse 12 to verses 7 through 11. I believe that this therefore is connecting verse 12 all the way back into chapter 5. Jesus began this sermon with an introduction of the Beatitudes, those blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, the peacemakers. Those blessed are statements. And then he kind of transitioned into the body of the sermon by stating, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets didn't come to abolish them but to fulfill them and we talked about how Jesus was the fulfillment of the law he embodied all of the righteousness uh, requirements of the law and he was the um, anti-type of all of the types and shadows that were uh, typified in the law all that the prophets foretold he came to fulfill So, so we saw how Jesus embodied all of that then he transitions into the body of his sermon in which he essentially lays out what life in the kingdom is to look like and I believe that uh, this statement here in verse 12 do not think uh, do to others what you would have them do to you for this sums up the law and the prophets I believe that Jesus is Essentially saying the spirit of the law, the essence of the law, continues into the New Covenant. New Covenant believers are certainly not bound by the stipulations of the law of Moses, but the heart of God, the desire for his people to walk in righteousness remains. In fact, we're called to a higher standard as he raises the bar. You have heard that it was said, but... I say to you, raising the bar, we're calling our people now to a higher standard of righteous living. But this one thing right here, this one thing sums up the whole of the law and the prophets. Do to others what you would have them do to you by living out this one simple command. It encompasses the whole So to reach back into the text, since we said it's a therefore that reaches all the way back into the beginning of the body of the sermon, filter, filter Jesus' words through this. Would you want your brother with whom you are at odds to come and reconcile with you? Yeah. So you, the moment you realize that your brother has something against you, Even if you're in the middle of worship, set it aside, go, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and worship God. Make reconciliation a priority. Make relationships a priority. You want others to treat you that way? Treat others that way. You want other people to treat their relationship with you as important? Treat your relationship with them as important. Would you want your spouse to look lustfully upon others or have eyes only for you? In the same way, have eyes only for your spouse and do not look lustfully upon others. Would you not want your spouse or your future spouse to be faithfully committed to you and you alone as long as you both shall live? then you be committed to a lifelong marriage union with your spouse because God designed marriage for permanence. Wouldn't you want other people to tell you the truth? To be people of their word? To keep their word? Don't you want to be able to trust others? Then you be a person of your word. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Don't be the kind of person who has to undergird the truth of their statements with, I swear, do to others what you would have them do to you. Wouldn't you want people to forgive you and to forego vengeance? Then forego vengeance, forgive, be a people of pardon. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Don't you want others to treat you with love? Then love others. Do you want other people to be authentic, real? Don't you want other people to take off the mask and stop pretending that they're better than they are and better than you are and holier than thou? You too. Do to others what you want done to you. Be real. Be authentic. Be you. Take off the mask. Be one in whom there is nothing false, no pretense. Don't act like you're better than you are, and don't act like you're better than them. Don't put on a show. Strip away the hypocrisy. Because don't we all hate hypocrisy? Let's not be hypocrites. If you were in need, would you not want those with abundance to be generous givers to you. So also let us out of our abundance do to others what we would have done to us and give to those in need. This one command do to others as you would have them do to you. This one command it sums up the law and the prophets embodies the spirit of the entire law and it's, it's a very very simple yet profound and difficult at times precept that sums up life in the kingdom Do to others as you would have them do to you. So what does it mean? In conclusion, what does it mean based on what we've looked at this morning to be a citizen in the kingdom? Well, it means number one, God is not this genie in a lamp, this cosmic genie that exists to serve us grant our every desire regardless of what it is no rather he is our sovereign king he is master we are servant and should posture ourselves accordingly in prayer we don't go hey give me this there's a lot of erroneous teaching out there that says you bark out commands to God and if you don't get what you asked for well you just didn't have enough faith not what the Bible teaches We ask with humility, not only is he king, but he's father. We don't bark out commands to our earthly fathers, nor should we bark out commands to our heavenly father. Our heavenly father is infinitely greater than even the best of earthly fathers who, though they are evil, know how to give good gifts to their children. Well, how much more? Will our Father in heaven, in whom there is no evil, give good gifts to those who ask? Again, good gifts. He is the giver of good gifts. He gives us what is ultimately good. What is in our best interest. What we need. Which means that sometimes the answer to our prayers will be no. Because we ask with selfish desires that we may get what we spend on our pleasures. Or we ask for things that aren't good for us. But... Again, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart in the kingdom. And for those who with right, noble, godly, pure motives, ask according to his will, God is eager to grant those desires. For he is the giver of good gifts. And we are to be a people of prayer.